Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Well, good morning. We've got a small group today, but I, I think that you're exactly the ones who God wants to be here today. And I uh, hope that you learned something from this, what we're going to talk about. Uh, before we get started, uh, I need to tell you three things that need to be laid out before we begin, okay? So three things. First one is going to be this idea of growth, okay? So I'm going to talk about growth for a minute, kind of some ideas behind that. The second one is going to be uh, three important words. I'm going to give you three words that I think are important for understanding today. Uh, the passage from 1 Corinthians. And then the third thing is, uh, I'm just going to give you an advance warning that this may today, if you're here, this might sting a little. Are you okay with that? You prepared for that? A little bit of a sting, possibly? I don't know. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to talk about those three things before we really dig into it, and uh, then we'll look at the passage. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this day, and I just ask now that you would uh, bless this time that we have. Lord, I know from last week that if we're to understand the things from your word, we are absolutely dependent on your spirit. Lord, I pray for that process to begin right now, or for your spirit to guide and direct my words, but then as those words are transmitted through the airwaves to our ears, God, I ask that your spirit would deliver them to the heart in such a way that understanding and comprehension happens of those deep spiritual truths. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to start with these three things. The first one I said was about growth. Think about growth for just a second. In the commentary on 1 Corinthians by the guy named Stephen Um, U-M is his last name, uh, he begins with talking about growth. And I thought there was three interesting things about growth, so lots of threes today. Three interesting things about growth that I thought were important. Um, first... Uh, we think about growth. I used to think we think about growth when you're talking about it in church. You think about numbers, um, getting larger, the, the population of the church growing. Um, and that is an important feature, but life doesn't always get larger. Would you agree with that? I mean, there's things that grow, you know, other than alligators. I don't know if you know this, but alligators grow their whole lives. They never stop growing. I'm glad that's not true with us because all of our old people would be like giants, you know. Um, but for us, you know, we get to a certain size and we kind of stop growing. Some of us continue growing here, uh, but, uh, you know, that's a different, different story. Um, but growth is an important thing. Um, and when I think about growth, I do think about, and Stephen Newman broke it down in three ways. He said one is natural growth. Um, this is like growing from a baby to an adult, getting bigger, okay, getting stronger, etc. Um, you could even include in this this idea of growth in numbers, uh, I do think that that's part of growth. I mean, just think very naturalistic for just a second. I mean, uh, that's one of the signs of life is growth. In fact, uh, reproduction, right? More coming afterwards, numbers increasing. That's one of the signs of life is, is growth. But I think for human beings, there's also this idea of personal growth. Um, a lot of different ways you could look at that. Think about that as becoming who you, who you are as a person, right? I mean, just... There's, there's aspects of that. You grow and mature as an individual. Um, I think as well, when we think about this idea of personal growth, I do think about it uh, in terms of growing up, um, becoming self-sufficient, 
Uh, to put it simplistically, go get a job, <laughs> right? Move out of the house, uh, get going, okay? Those are the things that you want for your kids. And even after our kids grow up, I put air quotes around that, sometimes you want them to grow up, okay? So they get grown, they get out, and there's a few times every once in a while that you look at them and you think, oh, come on, grow up, okay? Even as adults, probably, um, there's those times where that happens, uh, where you want them to be uh, more mature. I thought about it this morning in terms of less monitoring, uh, right? When they're an infant, there's constant monitoring that needs to happen. I mean, for some of us, we're even checking them while they're sleeping. Are they sleeping okay? And as you get older, there's less and less monitoring. You know, eventually you get to leave the kids at home by themselves, and eventually they're off on their own. You don't have to monitor anything, and finally, eventually, it turns back around. They have to start monitoring you. Uh, but uh, you do think about that idea of less monitoring when it talks about somebody maturing and growing up. Uh, third, I think there's, you can think about growth in terms of societal growth, okay? So as a society, we grow. Um, I'm not talking about numbers now. I'm talking about uh, things that we've figured out, right? We're not all still living in huts, are we? Well, some of you maybe, I don't know. But I think most of us, we're not living in huts anymore. And you just think about society as a whole. There's progression. There's development. There's advancement. These are all important ideas behind this idea of growth. Okay, so there's that first idea. So take this growth idea and some of the things attached to it, sit on the shelf, right, of your mind. That might play into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, secondly, um, we're going to talk about something from uh, <clears throat> uh, last week, a little bit of a review. Um, there was an important Greek word I gave to you last week, and it was in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And it's translated here as the word natural. I mentioned to you that the word natural, and I'm going to go ahead and go to the next slide. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But that word that's translated natural, um, you kind of recognize a little bit of it there. Do you see the first part of it, the psyche? Okay, so we talked about this last week. Now, this is really, really important. That verse, I'm going to go back to it, and then I'll come right back to this. That verse is saying someone operating in their full capacity as a human being, all of their mental capacities, right? Every aspect of mental judgment. People cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit apart from the Spirit of God. That's what we're talking about, okay? The psyche, natural, and Paul uses it this way. There's two more words that we're going to see coming up right in the very first verse of chapter 1. One of them is this word. And you see that at the beginning of it, pneuma, like we see that like pneumonia, right? It's about, it, it kind of has this idea of breath as well, but it's, it's, we're talking about spirit. Okay? So that word is talking about the spirit. Now, obviously not for us. We don't use that word for spirit. We have our own word for spirit. But for them, it had to do with the idea of spirit. And you're going to see Paul say this, the spiritual people. Okay? You have natural people, you have spiritual people he's going to talk about. But there's a third word I think is hugely, hugely important, and we're going to deal with it uh, in a little bit of detail in just a moment. And it's this word here. Now, it's supremely interesting in my mind that it, he doesn't use the same word that he used in chapter 2 when he said natural person. He uses a different Greek word that we have translated most of our Bibles as fleshly or of the flesh. There's going to be a really interesting aspect to this word because the way Paul uses it, in fact, the, the way that the, uh, the word itself, the form that it takes, is talking about someone 
acting according to the flesh. And you'll see that the attempts to translate that in the English version when we get to that first verse. These words are important okay, as we understand this. Now, I want to throw in there one last idea as we're, we're dealing with this. One last concept. I mentioned it last week. Uh, there was a passage in Ephesians I went to where it talks about Paul, the apostle talks about, he says that when you believed, right? When you believed, the promised Holy Spirit was given to you as a seal guaranteeing your inheritance. Another verse, if you need to write down references, is Romans 8, 9, which basically says almost literally those without the Spirit of God do not belong to God, is what it says, Romans 8, 9. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. So I want you to understand as we progress, and I think most everybody in this room already understands that, but if you have questions about this, I'm more than happy to, outside of the, the sermon itself, answer some questions. But understand that the Spirit of God is given to Christians at that moment of genuine faith. Okay? Theologically speaking, biblically speaking, I absolutely believe it. There's nothing in the Scriptures that, that says that you could be a Christian, a believer, and not have the Spirit. I also do not believe that you, know, you become a Christian, you get the Spirit, but then sometimes some people get more of the Spirit, like a, a second indwelling of the Spirit. There are some faiths that believe that. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not at all what I believe. You're given the Spirit of God. But I do think that there's something important that Paul's going to talk about in this verse. Let me take a look at this. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Oh, do you remember what I said earlier? This may sting a little. I said there was three things, growth, three words, and I said third warning before we started, it might sting a little. You may detect that in this very first verse, why it may sting a little. Paul, now I imagine the Corinthians when they read this, it stung a little for them. Okay? So as recipients of the Word of God, it may as well, when you read this, you may go, ooh, it kind of feels like that's talking about me. But I, brothers, he says to the Corinthians, maybe God may be saying to you today, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, there's that word, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, before we go any further, there's a ton of little thoughts that could even come out right away. I read this and I automatically go, this means to some degree, now no matter what, how you want to interpret this later, this means one thing you have to agree upon in this verse. There are some Christians who are behaving in such a way that Paul had to say to them, and possibly maybe to you this morning, we're, get, we're stuck on giving you milk, still. Now, to understand why that may sting a little, just imagine, if you will for a moment, enter into my imagination as I think about this. Imagine, if you will, my mom, who, let's say she's still with me, let's say I had never progressed to steak. And instead of being your pastor, let's say she brought me in every day, and even though there was nothing physically wrong with me, when it came time for fellowship lunch, she broke out a bottle, leaned me back. That's disturbing. <laughs> right? 
Now, now, think about it. There's something naturally disturbing about people who don't grow up. Now, there's a lot of very, that was an extreme example. But people who don't mature into adult-like behavior, at some point we go, it's not funny, is it? We can laugh about it, and there's movies that portray people who are kind of acting childish. And there's that. Now, I'm not talking about a childlike spirit, right? I, 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 there's aspects of that I think I want to hold on to. That childlike imagination and that childlike attitude. There's aspects of But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about immaturity. And Paul said to these Corinthians, uh, you guys are still getting milk. Man, there's meat to be had, and you're still getting milk. Now, I'm just being blunt this morning. It may be for some of you, I don't care how long you've been in church, how long you've been a Christian, the reality is, because of this verse right here, I can say with absolute surety, there are people who, in their faith, don't progress. Now, there's all kinds of thoughts that come after that, but let's just keep it simple for a minute. There's at least the reality that you could be sitting here today, and God could be looking at you going, you're still taking a bottle. time to progress. Paul went on after this. He says at the end of the verse, I fed you milk and not solid food for you're not ready for it. He says the rest of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3 says, and even now you're not ready. Which means, I read that and I thought, that means that even what we're reading in this part of Corinthians, to some degree we have to say what? This is still kind of milky, isn't it? If you're reading Corinthians, you go, man, this is tough to digest, understand. What are we talking about here? Milk. See, that, that's why it stinks a little, because if you're sitting here going, man, this is, you, you have to, if you're honest with yourself, you have to come to this point where you go, if I'm sitting here hearing this, and this is like, man, this is tough to chew on, understand it ought not to be. Paul just basically said, this is, this is milk I'm giving you. I'm giving you basics here. Now, there's a lot of similarity, so I'm gonna, let's delve into this a little bit. There's a lot of similarity between this. When we think about what, what, what does that actually mean, milk, meat, what, what's he talking about? Let's, let's be more specific, because that's kind of an illustration, right? He's not literally giving you milk. So he's saying the teaching is like milk for a baby. There's a passage of Scripture that, that resonates with this very clearly, and some of you may have even been thinking about it when I was talking about it. It comes from Hebrews chapter 5, and it says this. Now, this is a different author. I do not believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I believe it was somebody else. I don't think we know who it is for sure. I've guessed that it might actually be Apollos, um, who we talk about, you know. It could be. I, have, I Honestly, I have no idea. It doesn't matter. It's God's Word. Okay, I know that. The author of Hebrews says this. About this, we have much to say. So the author of Hebrews is writing... And he's, he's delving, and if you read the first part of Hebrews, it's like your mind is being exploded. There's deep, big things. And he stops right at the, you know, the, near the first half of Hebrews, and he says this. About this, we have much to say, and it is, it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic Principles, or some versions say the elementary doctrines. Elementary. 
of the oracles of God. You need milk. There it is again. And not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. The word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, there's some things in here we need to talk about. Now, I'm, I'm going to read one more chunk of this, but let your mind just, just soak on this for a little bit. Imagine being the recipients of these types of words. Let me go back a slide. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, ask yourself the question, could that be said of you? In your faith, what's the, what's the timetable? I don't know. I'm not offering one today. But I think that you may know. If you hear those words and you go, that's talking about me. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. I don't know about you, but once again, I'm telling you, don't delve too much into trying to figure out exactly what I'm talking about. Just think about the reality that there's things here, let me say it this way. I've mentioned this multiple times from up here, just something about myself. I hate knowing there's something bigger going on and I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't like that feeling naturally. Maybe you're the same way. It kind of reminds me of like when you're a kid at the kids' table on Thanksgiving. You hear them talking over there about stuff. And you're going, man, what are they talking about? I want to be on the, the real conversation. In a much more serious way, I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. There's things, there's spiritual things that, man, you could go into. And in fact, I would say you could go into for all eternity, delving into the mysteries of God. If you've ever gotten to a place in your Christian walk where you go, well, I kind of basically, I think I know it all. Oh my goodness, you haven't even scratched the surface. You're sitting there looking at your Bible going, well, I've, I've gone through it. There, there, there's stuff to chew on that's difficult to digest, but so full of nutrition. The problem may be, if you're sitting there pretty content with what you know about God, is maybe you're a baby. And at some point... That becomes repulsive. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of discern, powers of discernment trained by constant practice. I think there's a clue there. If I was preaching on Hebrews today, I might dwell on that for a little while, but I'll just let that sit and resonate with you. To distinguish good from evil, therefore let us leave, he says, the elementary doctrine of Christ... And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. You may even be reading that going, man, I don't even know what he's talking about. What does that, what, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but what does that tell you? If nothing else tells you, you have a lot to learn. You have a lot to learn. The similarities are striking between this passage and what Paul is talking about when he talks about milk and solid food. 
There's another possible understanding Paul could be saying because of the things that he's talking about. I mean, talking about the, the, who Christ is and preaching the word of the cross may not be that what we're reading is just milk. It could be that all they're getting out of it. It's kind of like the table has been spread before you and all you go for is the easiest thing to digest. If it requires work, I don't want to dig into it. That could be the case as well. What I'd like to focus on, though, is this next question that comes to my mind when I'm reading these thoughts is, how would I know? Is it possible? I mean, it seems like as Paul's telling these Corinthians that maybe they didn't realize this truth about themselves. So that you ask the question, how would you know? How would you know if you're sitting here today and maybe you're starting to get hints of it already? Maybe the Spirit of God is already starting to poke you and prod you and say, man, I'm like a, a, an infant biblically. I'm taking baby food still. Maybe the Spirit of God is already prodding you with that. How do you know? This is where it gets so interesting to me because listen to what he says next because I think that what Paul says next to the Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians 3, what he's going to say next is he's going to evidence, he's going to show how and why he's saying this about them. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Now, there's that word flesh again in that same term. Aren't you behaving, acting in this fleshly way? Think about it this way, and we're going to talk about this right at the very end. Simple thought here for you. There are two types of humanity. You can divide them into two groups. Those who are still natural and those who are spiritual. But what Paul is doing here is he's saying this. He's talking about the fact that I cannot, I can't look out right now and look into your heart and see if the Spirit is there. Correct? Not directly. I don't have that power, that ability. I can't just look at you and go, I see the Spirit. You also cannot go, here's the Spirit. So as human beings, we operate, and this is what Paul's talking about, we operate in such a way as we say, you act according to something. So Paul is addressing them, and he's not talking about what they are at this point. He was talking about that in chapter 2. You're either, you're either natural or you're spiritual, but right now he's talking about what they're behaving like. So there's the potential that if they're behaving in such a way, they maybe have the Spirit, but still behaving in such a way, the way they would have done that before. Now, I don't want to suggest by saying this at all that someone could continue on in that process for all of their life. There are plenty of scriptures that will battle that right off the bat. There, there's no such thing in scripture, someone who has genuine faith but never lives it. But we have to stop and ask the question from an outward perspective, what are you acting like? What are you acting in? And this is what Paul is talking about. He says he looks at this Corinthian church and he says as a whole, as a group, he says since there's jealousy and strife, these two things he talks about specifically, jealousy and strife among you, are you not behaving, acting is what this word actually means, behaving or acting according to the flesh. Now he's not trying to say you have the spirit or you don't right now. He's just saying I look at you and you're acting because of this jealousy and strife. You're acting according to the flesh. And he goes on to say, and behaving in only a human way, as humans would. 
and it is natural human tendency for jealousy and strife. Hence, war. He goes on, for when one says, and he's addressing something he talked about in chapter 1, he's coming back to it again. For when one of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? That's not of the spirit, he's saying. That's a, like spiritual people. That's, that's human, fleshly. The factions that are going on are showing that they are not behaving in the spirit, but in the flesh still. What then, he says, he addresses the issue. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? I almost picture him the way it's phrased here, almost like putting air quotes around it. What is Apollos? He doesn't say who is Apollos. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? These things that you guys have set up is like, I'm after this, I'm after this. What are these things? Servants. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. They had a, Paul says, I had a role to play. Apollos has a role to play. I planted. Apollos watered. Here's this idea. That God gave growth. Apollos, he's doing this part. I mentioned last week that this illustration of the, I mean, I just picture it. The fields. Aren't we going to start seeing that really soon here? <laughs> yeah, if it doesn't quit right. But eventually, I always think it's neat when you see that. And right now we have a lot of barren fields. Once they get planted, what do you see after a few, even sometimes just a few days, a few weeks, you start to see all that green pop up? I mentioned last week, did, did the farmer make that happen? Nope. He may have put the seed in the ground with his tractor, right? He may have done all those things. He may have been hoping for water to come down, praying for it. Not right now, but you need to let it dry out a little bit so they can get it in the ground. But then you want those rains to water it. Maybe hoping for all those things, but that, right? Who gives the actual growth? God does. Same thing is true of what he does with people. Paul goes on to say, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He goes on further with Paul and Apollos to make sure that they understand that whatever factions they have divided up among themselves doesn't even follow with what Paul and Apollos are. They're just servants. He says, He who plants and he who waters are one. We're unified. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. We're going to talk about that more next week. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And then he shifts illustrations. God's building. So he shifts from farmers to, to builders. Now, I almost picture life in that. I love watching those time-lapse videos of a building being built. Have you ever seen one of those? Where they, they show it in fast forward and you can see it's like it's, it's growing is what it looks like. It's the same idea here, right? This building. In fact, I think a building is even a sign of life in and of itself. Buildings don't just spring up on their own, do they? By natural processes, things fall over. And a building, right? No. If you see constructed building, what do you think? Man, people are doing stuff. Societal growth. God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to pause right here in our text. Because where he goes next deserves its own set of study. So I'm going to pause right there for a minute. We've got some ideas that are building, but I'm going to stop right there. In fact, I'm, I'm actually almost done today. Okay? It's a short sermon for you. I want you to think back for just a moment, and I want you to ask the question, what does this mean? Just already what we've delved into, what does this mean for you and me? What's this mean? Let's break it up. Everybody in this room falls into one of two categories. You either have the Spirit or you don't. Either the Spirit is in you or it's not. We can't discern that visually, so we could break down the room in a different way. Those who behave according to the flesh and those who behave according to the Spirit. That's the two words that Paul uses in this section. There are people who are acting according to the flesh, and he describes them as being immature. And notice what he says. The thing that he points out is this jealousy and strife. Now, let's be really blunt for just a moment here and talk, and talk about that. Um, what do you see, and what could a person see that's sitting, sitting back and, and visualizing and looking and observing Paul looked back and visualized, observed strife and jealousy amongst the people of Corinth. In Danville, we have multiple churches. God's sorts of churches ought not to have an us versus them mentality. And I can say from first-hand experience that there are many pastors that I've met that don't, that don't have that. It's, it's not an us versus them. They recognize, we recognize, we're all in this together. It's not a competition to see who can get the biggest church the quickest. People that have that mentality, what are they doing? They're doing exactly what Paul is fighting against. Factionalism. That strife and that jealousy is depicting a, a lack of maturity. Within this church, you see those things kind of played out within many churches around this town, around this country. Let me give you a really blunt, specific example of exactly what this is talking about. Now, understand, I'm not talking about... There are issues where if I was getting up here and I was speaking things that were not true, so let's say I started teaching you things that the Bible doesn't say, okay? You ought to, number one, approach that, address it, confront it. So if I was up here teaching you things and it's not in the Bible, you should go, Matt, that's not in the Bible. And I invite that, please. If I ever say something up here, you go, is that in the Bible? Ask me after, well, I prefer it afterwards because my, my, I'm very ADD, so you could ruin my whole flow of thought. But, you know, come up afterward, and if I'm wrong, I want to I always address that. But understand, if I was up here, false teaching is a completely different topic in Scripture. So we're not talking about people having, preaching falsely or teaching falsely. We're not, not, not talking about false teaching. What I do want to talk about, though, is, I, I told you this might sting a little we have this, this issue, not us specifically, but it's going to ring very true to what you've experienced. There's this, this thing that happens amongst the immature where if somebody says something they don't like or somebody doesn't do something they don't like, they get all upset. And what do they do? Well, I'm just going to go to this new church. Right? And you have that happen. You have people that they're there for a while until somebody says something they don't like. 
Now, there's good reasons. Understand, please understand, there's good reasons to leave a church and go to a new one. There's all kinds of good reasons for that that make a lot of sense. I've had people that have gone to different churches, and it works beautifully when it's done God's way. But the jealousy, the strife that, well, I'm going to go for this, or I'm after this, or I'm... In fact, I would say it even boils down to quite often we see people picking their churches based on their, their likes and their dislikes, their styles, all these other things. That's, that ought not to be how it is. It's immaturity. I, I worry about that sometimes because I've had that happen. I've gotten up here, I've done something or not done something or not done quite enough or done too much or said too much or not said enough or... Uh, even had a weird look on my face on Sunday morning. Somebody gets upset. Right? I'm just, John's just, we're just, we're just these little cogs in a bigger wheel. We're just servants. Just like you. You're just as much a part of this church as I am. I'm not a bigger part than you are. And I ought not to play a bigger role than you do. This is the body of Christ. I, I'm filling a, a role that God has given me. I absolutely believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here. This is the part, you know, isn't that what Paul said a moment ago? Let me go back here. I'm sorry, I'm trying to find it. There we go. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. There's, God's orchestrating this. God's growing. This is God's field. And it's not just Edgewood. It's, it's the church as a whole across this country, across the world. The church. God's growing. It's his field. We're playing these little roles in it. And one of the biggest signs of immaturity is that division and strife that Paul's talking about. I don't think as a church we often think that that's something that we deal with. We think, well, well we're, we're pretty good with each other. We're not like little factions within ourselves. But ask yourself this question, and I'm telling you right now, if you have left another church for bad reasons, you, you ought to at some point make that right. If you've left for poor reasons from some other church and you're here just because you got mad at somebody else, that is not the right reason to leave one church and go to another. Um. At the same time, you ought not to come in here, I ought not to come in here feeling like we have to walk on, what, what's the phrase, walking on our tiptoes? What's, there's a phrase I'm looking for. Yeah, walking on eggshells, like, oh man, I don't want to, you know, if you're easily offended, easily stirred up, I, I believe absolutely that's a sign of immaturity. That's exactly what was going on in this Corinthian church. Well, I'm, I'm, well I don't like what he said, so I'm going to go here within line myself in this group fills and I'm well I'm going to be here well I'm with the Jesus group or the Peter group I'm a, you know it, that, that ought not to be now we're not once again we're not talking about false teaching that's a completely different issue but within the scope of biblical teaching there ought to be a diversity of people diversity of opinions and ideas and styles and attitudes there's, there's all broad spectrum of humanity within the body of Christ we ought to be unified when we're here. Realizing that we're just one small part of this big picture of what God is growing. Let me go back to the end. What does this mean? 
for you and me? Again, well, there's two types of people, but ask yourself that question as I close. Just genuinely ask yourself that question. Am I behaving in such a way? Am I behaving? Am I living still according to the flesh? Or do I live according to the Spirit? Do I live? Do I make my decisions about what I do, what I even think, what I'm going to choose to think about, what I'm going to dwell on, how I'm going to behave, how I'm going to act? Do I do those things based on the flesh or based on the Spirit? Now, in just a moment, I'm going to have uh, my ushers come up, but I wanted to read a passage of Scripture to you. Romans chapter 8, and this is being added on. This is not in my notes. But I was thinking about this idea of the Spirit and the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Listen carefully. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to look it up and look at this together with me. Romans chapter 8, and there's Bibles in the pews if you want to, because like I said, I don't have it up on the slides for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this. You, how, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Paul's talking about something very similar here, isn't he? He's telling these people, if you're genuinely of the Spirit, you're not, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, and this is why it's so important, he says, if, in fact, you're in the flesh, or you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Him. Okay, so that's what we were talking about earlier. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, Think about that for just a moment before I finish that verse. Think about what happened when Christ was raised from the dead, just on a purely physical manifestation of power. They say when a person dies, the cells of the body all begin to break down. That's why you, in fact, that's one of the reasons why they haven't been able to figure out how to freeze somebody and bring them back. Because the damage that happens in the human body at the moment of death, starts to happen fairly quickly. This is why somebody can't be just, you know, without breath for hours upon hours, and we go, well, let's just get everything started again. It's not how it works. Why? Because everything starts to deteriorate, decompose. When Christ was laid in the tomb after he'd been killed, right? That spear jabbed up, the blood loss, the beating he took, everything, and he was dead. And laid in that tomb, the moment when he was raised to life, think about what happened inside of his body physically. That's power, isn't it? The ability to reconstruct all the cells that had come apart. Not just the organs that maybe had been pierced with that spear, but just think about all the other things that would have had to have happened. That's amazing. And Paul says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
in a very practical way, I'm just going to be very, very practical here. This means this. If you genuinely have the Spirit of God in you, there's nothing that you can come up against where you can say, I can't do what God wants me to do. You have the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you. Some of us behave as if we're still in the flesh when we have the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelling in you. That's crazy. We all struggle with it. I want you to know on a personal level, that spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, you're not going to experience that for the most part. You don't experience the spirit dwelling in you by telling you, by suddenly you going, man, I have to do the right thing. I love it when that happens. But quite often, this is what it looks like. This body of sin that we live in goes, man, I want, you get still stuck with this fleshly brain Man, I really want to do this. I would. You even have reasonings in your brain that you've maybe you've learned from years of living on this planet telling you this is the way you should do it. This is how you should handle it. That person did that to you. I should do it back to them. Uh, this happened here. Well, I should do this. Look out for number one. I mean, there's all kinds of like things that are bouncing around up there. The spirit dwelling in you doesn't take the brain out and give you a new brain. So those, thought, those thoughts are still going to be up there. What does the spirit do, though? Is giving you, the Bible describes like a new heart. So what happens? Flesh is going, man, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Give up here. Be lazy. <laughs> Don't worry about it, you know? I, I feel it most distinctly when it's in the, in the morning and I get up a little bit earlier so I can read my Bible. And my body goes, Don't get up. <laughs> It's not like I get up in the morning and I go, can't wait to read my Bible, you know, and I'm like running out, you know, yay, I just want to so bad. That's not how I usually am like, it usually starts that way because I'm battling what? This flesh. But the question is, are you going to act according to the flesh or are you going to act, choose to behave according to the spirit? This is why Paul in other passages of scripture says, deny the flesh. Kill the flesh. So what does it look like? It's going to look like for you most of the time, you're going to go, man, I really want to do this, but the Spirit's going to say, don't. Do this instead. He's going to whisper to you words of truth. We're reminded this morning of Elijah, and I'd actually just read that the day before, about how this earthquake happened, this whirlwind happened, all these things are going on, the fire comes up, and, and God was not in this thing, but then to Elijah comes this Whisper of a voice. And the Bible says that God was in that. I, for me, quite often, I love it when God shows up, boom, in my life. But for the most part, when it comes right down to those daily decisions, am I going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? Am I going to give up this and do what God wants me to do? It, usually it looks like that. God going, just get up and read your Bible. I don't feel like it. Spirit goes, I know. That's your flesh. What are you going to do? Are you going to deny it and do what the Spirit is calling you to do? Or are you going to give in to the flesh and do what it says? And what do you do when you do that? You deny what? The Spirit. There's no middle ground. 